You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Go ahead and take your Bibles. We're going to jump right in tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. I'm in between the series tonight. Second Chronicles 21. Sorry, I forgot to switch over here. Second Chronicles 21, and uh, we'll be reading the chapter here. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're in between a series, uh, we, I was doing the, the parenting, the parent principles for a while, and, uh, and then I've, I've got a couple that I'm, I'm trying to decide in, about what to do next. Uh, and so tonight, you know, as you read through your Bible, you probably do this, and you read through your Bible and a phrase or something sticks out to you, and you're thinking, I sure really would like to explore that a little bit more. And, and so that's kind of what's happening tonight. I honestly don't read my Bible with the intention of coming up with messages. Uh, I try to read my Bible in the same way that I think that you probably do in that it's sustenance. It's food. It's helping me to be strengthened. And, and if I look at it like trying to find a good new message, sometimes um, I, I don't get fed the same way. I hope that, uh, that makes sense to you. But this was one that kind of came from my Bible reading about a man named Jehoram, and uh, he's a king in Judah, and we're going to read about, really, uh, his downfall. It's not a gr- really encouraging thought, uh, but I think it'll be a challenge to you tonight. Second uh, Chronicles 21, it says in verse 1, Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, and Jehiel, and Zechariah, and Azariah, and, and Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. So those were all his, uh, these were basically his brothers. And their father gave them great gifts of silver, and of gold, and of precious things, with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. Now, when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also of the princes of Israel. And you say, that is not encouraging. Well, it gets even less encouraging. Let's keep reading. Jehoram was 30 and two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and as he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. In his days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand, because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers." Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. That's the less encouraging part I was, I was promising it was coming. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians, and they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house, 
and his sons also, and his wives, so that there was never a son left him, save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease, and it came to pass that in process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so he died of sore diseases, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his father's. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And this is the phrase that really stood out to me, and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. And that phrase is what I want to mention, is that it's, I'm calling it tonight, departed but not desired. And it really should be uh, something that all of us strive to not have happen in our lives. Uh, we, want to be, we want to depart desirably. And here's a man who I think from his life, in a negative way, we can learn some lessons from the way that he lived his life undesirably. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you bless the reading of it and our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Appreciate your patience standing. It's a long passage tonight. Um, as most of you know, and I've already mentioned it, Brother Jacob and Brother Samuel left this week uh, to go back to Bible college. And, and they each gave, and I called it Sunday night, I called it a testimony because it was a message and a testimony. And, and uh, they, those, those were a blessing on Sunday night. They really, truly were. I encourage you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. And, and I know that those two young men, they were not here for very long this summer, but I definitely feel the void they left behind already. Brother Dana's shaking his head because Brother Jacob lived with them. And, you know, maybe I'm filling the void because now I'm the one that has to go pull the weeds Jacob was, was pulling. Maybe I'm filling the void because Brother Samuel and Braille lived with us and Brother Samuel ate all of our food and drank all of our milk all summer. And by the way, he drinks his milk with ice. So if you, knew he, if you thought he was strange, you know now. So whatever the reason is, I'm feeling it. And I feel it the same way that I did last summer when uh, it was Brother Curtis and Brother Jacob here. When people are a blessing, you notice when they're gone. I mean, just today, I was, or yesterday, I was walking around and I had my phone out. And so I took a picture of both of their empty offices and I sent it to them and said, I'm just moping around the, the church today and with a sad emoji, you know, making them feel sad. And Jacob came back with something, you know, not sentimental at all and ruined my, mo my moment, you know. Um, but, you know, when people are a blessing, again, you notice it when they're gone. I was talking to some men even just today, and, and guess what came up? The interns, because they were a blessing. And when someone has a great spirit, when somebody uh, is willing to do work and they, and they get a lot accomplished and they make a difference, they leave a hole. I think about the same thing, and I don't mean to make the transition like this, but it, it's accurate because of the text. I think about the same way when people pass away. You know, certain people just leave a hole because of how special they are. I mean, how many things they took care of or how encouraging their spirit was. And, and, and you've probably experienced this too. On the flip side, though, you've probably been in services and you've watched a memorial service for somebody or a funeral service for someone when it seems like people are struggling to come up with enough good things to say. And, and I don't, I'm not even judging the, the, the body and the casket and the life they lived. I'm just saying... Sometimes, and you know what I mean, it almost feels forced because there aren't a lot of positive things to, to remember. And I, I pray that at the end of my life that, that there are so many things positive that could be said that people have to leave things out rather than just try to come up with something to put, put, to put back in. You know, one man whose funeral may have felt a little bit like that is this man, King Jehoram. He was the fifth king of Judah, and if you know your history, then you know there's a southern kingdom, the, uh, the kingdom of Judah, and the northern kingdom, um, the kingdom, what they would call the kingdom of Israel. That was the, the ten tribes and the two tribes um, there in Ju Jerusalem and Judah. That's who we're dealing with, and the, there were a, a number of good kings in Judah. There were no good kings or no righteous kings in the nation of, in the kingdom of Israel. But the kingdom of Judah had plenty of good kings. This man, Jehoram, his father, Jehoshaphat, 
was one of those that would have been mentioned among the good kings of Judah. And we're not going to go back and read it, but, um, but his, his father Jehoshaphat um, was a man that had a great reputation. He didn't do everything right. But these are the kinds of things said about his father Jehoshaphat. Um, it, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. Uh, and the Lord was... Uh, and, but the Lord... Sorry, I'm cutting out here. But sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of, Jeru- of, of Israel. So that's the kind of father that he had. He had a good father. Uh, it says, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence, and he had riches and honor and abundance. Again, this is his father. This is uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's father. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. So we happen to know that his father did away with uh, much of the idolatry that was in the land. He was a good man. Not only that, he brought the word of God into prominence and he, he brought it out and, and said, we're going to go teach everybody about the word of God again. He was a man that oversaw revival. Uh, unfortunately, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's dad, didn't do everything right. If you read in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. So here's a man that was a good man. He was a righteous king, and he even um, saw his Judah go into revival, and he, and he introduced things and got rid of things that, that were right, and yet he had an affinity with Ahab, the king of Israel. He aligned himself with a man that wasn't for God and that didn't love God and wasn't striving to do right, and because of that, God judged him. God didn't take it lightly. In chapter 19, you don't have to read it, I'm just going to read it for you. It says, And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him. Jehu's a prophet, and he comes out to meet Jehoshaphat. And he said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? I mean, this seems like an obvious question. Um, Jehoshaphat, you love God, so why are you helping the ungodly? Why are you helping those that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. So here's this man, Jehoshaphat, and he, and he was rebuked for his affinity, or aligning himself with the king of Israel, Ahab. And if you know anything about Ahab, you know he is a wicked king. That a righteous or godly man should have had nothing to do with a man like Ahab, but Jehoshaphat, this was something that he dealt with. It was one of his weaknesses, and he aligned himself with Ahab, and then he again aligned himself with King Ahaziah in Israel once Ahab was off the scene. And you know, and it doesn't seem like maybe it affected him all that much until you start reading about his son Jehoram, because it affected his son. What I'm saying is that dad's friendships affected son's friendships. Dad's affinities began to affect his son because Jehoram, and that's not the point of my message, but, but I maybe sometimes wish it, it, it might be tonight, is that dads, the things that we love, our children are going to love. What we do in moderation, you've heard this before, our children do in excess. What you do just a little bit, your children will do a lot of. And we've got to be mindful parents, dads, moms that what we do our children are watching so here's Jehoshaphat and he's a good man and he and he leads Judah to revival and yet he has an affinity for Ahab a wicked man and Ahaziah a wicked man and his son Jehoram comes along and he's following in his dad's footsteps and not in all the right ways he leans on he he clings to the few wrong things and it costs him dearly so we're back kind of in, in now in chapter 21 and we see that Jehoshaphat, it says in verse 1, he slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. So it starts, the chapter starts with Jehoshaphat dying. It's his death. But he died well enough that he was buried, not just in Jerusalem, he was buried with his fathers. He was buried among the number of the righteous, those that would have been counted righteous. But his son, Jehoram, comes along and he does so poorly that chapter 22, 21, verse 20, the end of the chapter says that they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchers of the kings. 
So Jehoram did such a bad job as a king, and he was not righteous, and he was not holy, and he did not help the nation of Judah in such a way that they wouldn't even bury him with his fathers. They buried him in Jerusalem, but they didn't bury him in a king's sepulcher. He departed, it says, without being desired. He died, and he wasn't missed. And I know that seems like a harsh thing to say, but that's what it's talking about. The only hole that Jehoram left when he died was a negative one. You could say it this way. He lived the life of an undesirable. He wasn't desired in life, and he wasn't desired in death. He wasn't missed. He left a hole, uh, but, it, but it, didn't, it, was, it wasn't something that people missed. How sad would that be? How sad would that be? To live your life in such a way that when you're gone, it's almost a relief to people. Uh, when you depart, they don't miss you. Jehoram lived in such a way that he departed without being desired. And so this, this evening, just for a little bit, I want to go through chapter 21 and look at the choices Jehoram made that made him undesirable. And maybe, just maybe, we can prevent in ourselves going down the same path that he did if we would just take heed. See, if you want to live a life, an undesirable life, here are the things that you should do. And I know that's a negative way to come about it. It's kind of backwards. But we're following Jehoram's example. If you want to live an undesirable life, then here are the things that you ought to do. Number one, you ought to be focused on your own kingdom. You want to live an undesirable life? You want to be the kind of person that people don't desire to be around? Then be all about your own kingdom. Look at, again, in verses uh, 2, and, well, it says, verse 1, it says, After Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers, was buried with his fathers, it says, And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead, and he had brethren, the son of Jehoshaphat, Elisa's brethren, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, Shephatiah, And it says in verse 3, And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. So so their father, as an inheritance, leaves these kinds of things for all of his sons except Jehoram. He leaves them things like silver and gold and precious things and fenced cities in Judah. Sounds like a pretty good inheritance to me, doesn't it, to you? Well, he doesn't leave that to Jehoram. He actually leaves more to Jehoram because at the end of verse 3, it says, but the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So here's Jehoram, and he gets the whole kingdom. He's the man. He's the king. He wears the crown, and he sits on the throne. His brothers, they still get a, a pretty good inheritance. They get silver and gold and cities even, but he was given the kingdom. He was given the most, but he was so paranoid to protect his kingdom that in verse 4, he does something despicable in that he kills his own brothers. It says in verse 4, now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also of the princes of Israel. Here's a man who has it all, and yet he's so paranoid about protecting his kingdom that he kills people that should have been his closest friends. You know, and I've been amazed, and you probably have too, to see the kinds of terrible things that people are willing to do to each other, even their own family members, by focusing on their own kingdom. By trying to protect everything they have. By trying to be the one that gets the most. And if you focus on your own kingdom, it will take you to some pretty low places. Here's Jehoram, and he has the keys to the kingdom. And that would be like inheriting, and I've seen Brother... Craig Chambers, he's got a nice car out in, that, in one of those buildings out there. He's got a Corvette. It'd be like inheriting uh, a Corvette, but losing your mind because your brother gets the Pinto. You say, I wouldn't mind a Pinto. I mean, they're classic cars. Just don't rear in me, you know. It'd be like, so this is the mindset. You've got a Corvette. you got the best inheritance. Your brother gets the Pinto but you go and take him out because he got a car at all. It makes no sense. But someone who's in it to protect themselves and their kingdom can be pretty undesirable. And we're going to go through and apply, get some more application here in just a minute as we go back through this. But I just want to give you the ideas here. He was undesirable because he was all about himself. 
He was undesirable because he was out to protect his kingdom. In verse 4, he strengthened himself and slew his brethren. When your focus is building up yourself, you'll find yourself willing to cut everybody else down. You've probably heard, about, heard that. It, you know, in school, you've got the kids that are the bullies. And the reason that you hear that the bullies are bullies is because in order to make themselves look good, what do they do to everybody else? They try to make everybody else look bad. They're, they're cutting everybody else down so they can look good. And by the way, can I just mention, parents, uh, that shouldn't be happening in church. We ought to be careful with our children. And I know kids are kids, and, and, and kids can be mean, but, but we ought to be, if someone comes to Eastside Baptist Church and they're playing out in the yard after church, uh, this should be the one place they come that they're not going to be bullied. And, and I know there's a lot of things that we could talk about, and kids need to be tough, and I understand that. Uh, but listen, even our children can be taught how to love each other. I know the play, playgrounds are sometimes the worst battlefields anywhere, but it shouldn't be that way at church. It shouldn't be that way at Eastside Baptist Church. Here's Jehoram, and there's plenty to go around. But he's so focused on the threats that he couldn't see his blessings. And sometimes that's the way we live. Uh, there's plenty to go around. Hey, listen, there's plenty to go around. And yet we're so focused on being the one that all we see are threats and we miss our blessings. Number two, if you want to live an undesirable life, uh, make alliances with carnal people. So first, if you want to, if you want to live an undesirable life, then uh, focus on your own kingdom. Second, if you want to live an undesirable life, make alliances with carnal people. Um, here's, here's his alliance. It's, it says in verse, uh, f- where are we at? Verse six. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as he did the house of Ahab. Why? For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here's Ahab. He was about the wor- one of the worst kings of Israel. He's extremely carnal. He had no heart for God. Ahab married Jezebel. If you want to know the kind of man that Ahab was, Jehoram married Ahab's daughter. So it's no wonder that Jehoram was carnal too. So first, and I'll mention this again, it shows the danger of a dad's leanings in the life of his children. Because dad had an affinity for Ahab, and now his son goes out and marries the daughter of Ahab. There's a strong connection there. But second, this should be a warning to anybody who isn't married to not to seek an unequal yoking. And I look around the room, and we've got a number of people in this room that aren't married, and I'm thinking, if you want to walk with God, and you want to live a life that counts for God, and you want to be spiritual in your life, then don't go looking for the first carnal guy that comes along, ladies. I mean, just because he looks good or he drives a nice truck, uh, being carnal is not going to help you. You'll be right there with him. And I've seen a lot of young ladies come along and say, well, you know, I'll change him. I'll bring him to church and things are going to get better. It never works that way. And you may stay in church and you may stay close to the Lord, but I've seen far too many ladies in churches serving alone while their husbands are at home. And listen, the young ladies in here and the young men in here uh, don't seek a carnal alliance in your marriage for sure. If you make alliances with carnal people, you're going to contribute to evil in God's sight. That's what he does here. Proverbs 13, 20, it's one of my favorite verses to quote to young people, but it applies to all of us. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Make sure that your alliances are with people that have a heart for God. If they don't have a heart for God, then you can, I mean, without being mean and without cutting them off in an, un, in an unspiritual way, then you need to find yourself a different circle. If you, if you hang out with the carnal people, you're going to find yourself in undesirable places. And I'm just, this is a word of warning to the young people. It's a word of warning to everybody in here. You will not maintain your spiritual life if your alliances are with carnal people. It just won't happen. So if you want to live an undesirable life, make alliances with carnal people. If you want to live an undesirable life, exercise control. This is number three. Exercise control in your relationships. Here's what he, look what he does in verse 8. He says, In his days the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day, 
The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So he has a problem. The Edomites, they rise up. They don't want to follow him anymore. They get their own king, and he goes after them. And, you know, you might would say, well, the Edomites were the, the enemy of God, so for him to go after them, that's a good thing. Um, but what does he care if they're not following him? I mean, they're, they're, car, they're, they're Canaanites, basically. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not friends of Israel. They're not friends of Judah. But here's a man that's so concerned about controlling everything around him that he goes after the Edomites. And, and you have to think, based on his pattern of character, he's not doing it for righteousness' sake. He's doing it to protect his own kingdom. We have, a, have to assume that his motives were inferior here. We know for sure his intentions were not righteousness. We're not righteous because he's not a righteous person. He's so intent on controlling his dominion that he went after him. They revolted from his control. But the problem was, listen, the problem was all he saw was himself losing control. What he should have been doing is asking why. Look at verse 10. It says, The Edomites revolted from under his hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So history tells us that Libna is a city uh, in, in Israel. It was captured by Joshua during the conquest of Canaan. And there are some that believe it had, been, it had turned into a Levitical city, a priestly city. That's what, uh, in my reading, that's what it was. And, and that means that the men there, if it was a priestly city, they likely follow the Lord. Uh, others believe this might refer to the Edomites in Libna, but I think it probably refers to those that were concerned about following God because it says that they, the same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So that makes you think, here's, here's Jehoram, and he's trying so hard to control every relationship that he's not controlling his enemies, and he's also not controlling the people that should be his friends. If these people are concerned about following God and they're concerned that he's not serving the one true God, then he has lost everybody. And it's interesting that, uh, that what controlling people don't realize, and maybe you've, had, maybe you've had experience with controlling people in your life. Maybe you've been some friends, friends with some controlling people. What they don't realize is you can't have a healthy relationship with someone who has to be in control of the relationship. And maybe you've tried to do that, or maybe you've been around people that are controlling whatever their reasons uh, for leaving. Jehoram should have been looking inward instead of blaming them for the revolt. He should have been saying, okay, they're leaving because I'm not following God, and looking inward and having a self-examination. But he's so concerned about losing control of the Edomites that, that, that he goes after them. And he's so concerned about losing control of those in Libna uh, that it's all consuming to him. It's, it's interesting. The tighter you control your relationships, the more of them you find yourself losing. And that's not a way to have a healthy relationship with other people. And yet I know people that it seems like you can't have a conversation with somebody without them having to have the last word. You ever known somebody like that? And you may not shake your head uh, today, but we've all been there. If you want to live an undesirable life, then maintain control of all your friends. Be in control of every relationship. Be the person that calls all the shots. You want to live an undesirable life, try to practice that level of control, and you will live an undesirable life. We're going to get back to more application again in a minute, but let me show you the fourth thing here. To live an undesirable life, leave others worse instead of better. Look at verse 11. Leave others worse, worse instead of better. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. So here's this man, and he's the king of Judah, and he should be doing right, and he should be leading his people to right, and yet he didn't operate with a mindset to help those under his authority to get better and draw closer to God. He was so, so focused, so self-focused, that he didn't do what was best for those that he was leading. And if anyone should have been serving in such a way that drew people's hearts to God, it should have been the king of Judah because they followed and served the one true God. And yet here's a man that at the end of his life, anybody that was around him was not closer to God. Instead of leaving those in his kingdom better off with God, he left them worse. 
His influence actually led them to be spiritually unfaithful to God. It says they committed fornication, and that's not necessarily an implication about a physical, uh, a physical relationship of fornication. It's talking about idolatry. He led his people to be idolaters, to be unfaithful to their God. Listen, these are not small indictments. These are not small things. And because of his undesirable life and the way that he lived, look at what the Lord does in verse 13. This prophet Elijah comes and he says, Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor the ways of Asa, verse 13, but hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and has also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. And then he says, There's a plague coming, a great plague will the Lord, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. So think about all that happened because he chose to live an undesirable life. Uh, he, he, there's residual judgment. And by that I mean his actions didn't just affect him, they affected his family. And they affected his nation. It says a great plague came from the Lord and affected the people and the children and his wives and all thy goods. It kind of reminds me of Achan. You know, Achan in the city of Jericho, they were told not to take anything. He took of the garments and the, and the, the silver and he hides it under his tent. And was it just Achan that had to deal with the judgment? No, his whole family did. And and this is a good lesson for us to know. If you live an undesirable life, listen, it doesn't just mean that you're undesirable. It affects people around you. If, if you're out trying to build your kingdom and you're, you're aligning yourself with carnal people and, and you're controlling your friendships and you're not leaving people better than when you, what, how you found them, you're affecting people around you. We affect people around us. So there's residual judgment, there's personal judgment, and he has this terrible disease in his bowels. I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. It's terrible, undesirable. And then in verse 17, we find God coming and taking everything. Uh, the, the enemies came, the Philistines came, and the Arabians, and, and they came, and they break into the city, came to Judah. They carried away all the substance that was in his house and his sons and his wives so there was never, even, not even a son left, save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. That's an undesirable ending, isn't it? And in, in the end, we find him departing, but he wasn't desired. Listen, to desire means that which is desirable, or pleasant, or precious. And everyone, folks, listen, everyone departs. But not, not everyone will be desired when they do. We will all die, but we won't all be missed. I mean, how you live determines how you die. An undesirable life led to an undesirable death. And so there's some questions to ponder, and, and we'll get into more application now. When you depart, will you be desired? I mean, spiritually speaking, when your life comes to an end, will you be missed spiritually? What kind of hole will you leave spiritually speaking? I'll ask it this way, do you want to live a desirable life? Well, rather than focus on the negative, let's go to the positive here and answer some questions based on Jehoram's life. If you want to live a desirable life, then let me ask you this, do you live your life to build your own kingdom? Were you in it? Are you in it for yourself? See, people that are all about themselves and full of pride and building their own kingdoms. And, and on, can I be honest here tonight? None of us think that applies to us. We all think of somebody else when we think, oh, they're a kingdom builder, or they're a kingdom builder, or they're undesirable, because it's always all about them. But let's take a look in the mirror and make sure that we're not one of the kingdom builders. Because as good as we think we are, we can, we're all prone to it. We're all prone to think that I can build my, it's all about me and it's about my kingdom. Now, people that are all about themselves building their own little kingdoms, they aren't, they aren't typically desirable even after departure. Jehoram killed his own brothers so he could have power and control. Unfortunately, I think more than a few Christians serve to build their own kingdoms. 
And listen, the only reason I can say that that strongly is because I've been there myself. I'm a human being too. There are more Christians more than happy to step on somebody else to climb a ladder if it means more attention or if it means a, a better position, if it means maybe a little bit more influence or, or even, even in a local church, folks. And if that describes us, that we will, Eastside Baptist Church will not be a desirable church. If we're in it for ourselves and we're trying to get the attention or the position or the influence, listen, that is an undesirable way to operate as a church member. And I can't imagine, based on what God did to Jehoram here, that if we operate that way, that we're going to enjoy very much, very long. So how do you ensure that doesn't happen? Well, maybe we should serve humbly instead of proudly. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we heard from Brother Jacob, and he was talking. He said it's okay to be a pancreas, and uh, what he—that is a great title right there. It's okay to be a pancreas, and I think that that has a lot more application in a church setting than we probably give it credit for. In a church setting, you know, there there isn't much that will destroy a church faster from the inside than pride. Deflect the attention when you get some of it. Deflect the glory when others give it to you. Be willing to do the small things, even if it's undesirable. Listen, you might say, well, that job is undesirable, but the attitude that will keep you from doing that job is even more undesirable than the job itself. And we've got to be mindful of to be the kind of people that, are more, that we are more willing to jump into an undesirable job than to have an undesirable attitude about the jobs we're doing. Be truly happy if somebody else gets success, if somebody else gets some attention, or someone else gets mentioned from the pulpit. Honestly, that's why in many cases I try not to do that very often because I've seen it where someone doesn't get mentioned and it causes a problem in the church. Well, that only causes a problem uh, if, if you have the spirit of building your own kingdom. Otherwise, you would realize, like Jehoram should, if there's plenty to go around. Okay, so you have the keys to the kingdom, but they have silver. Well, you have the keys to the kingdom. You have, I mean, if you are the one that gets the silver in a fenced city, who cares that Jehoram's the king? Look at all that God blessed you with. Be thankful for the position that you have and the place in which you can serve. It's a blessing just to be involved in any way. This kingdom is not about you and it's not about me. This kingdom is the Lord's and we should all be thinking about that when we're serving together. Second, do you align yourself with carnal people or spiritual people? See, carnal people are much more, if you want to live a life that's desirable, then, then you should be on the spiritual side, not the carnal side. Carnal people are much more likely to make enemies and hurt feelings and create tension. And we're not going to read it tonight, but we could go to Galatians 5 and read about the works of the flesh. Let me give you some of the the words that come along with works of the flesh or carnality. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And I don't even know that I have a full grasp on the definition of each of those words without looking them up. I just know that not one of them sounds desirable. Verse 21 of Galatians 5 says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that, does that mean if you've ever uh, had strife that you're not going to heaven? No, but somebody who lives a lifestyle that constantly shows or reveals strife is likely not saved, is the idea. You can't live your whole life and show those kinds of things and have a very good testimony of salvation. That's the idea. That's carnality. If you want to align yourself with carnality, those are the words that will describe your life. None of them are desirable. And yet spiritual people bear the fruit of the Spirit. And these words are words like love and joy and peace and gentleness and long-suffering and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And I, don't, and I think I know what most of those mean. And I can tell you this, every one of those are words that sounds, that sounds desirable. 
Every one of those. Listen, if I died and next week is my funeral and the only words people ever said about Jason Jett is that he was full of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and temperance and meekness, I would die with a smile on my face. That's the, that's the life that I want to live. Those are the kind of words that I hope people will describe me with. Those are the kind of things that we should be striving for. Dads, listen, the reason you may be undesirable at home is because you operate in a carnal manner. And your flesh dictates your actions and your words instead of the spirit. Moms, same way with you at, the, at home. And children, the same way with you in the way that you deal with your parents and the way that you deal with other people. Listen, how you live will determine how you die, either desirably or undesirably. Carnal, both carnal and spiritual people will depart, but only spiritual people will leave desired. The desirability of a mark that you, the mark that you leave will directly be connected to your level of spirituality. Don't align yourself with carnal people, or not even just carnal people, carnal things. How do you ensure this happens? Well, surround yourself with spiritual people. Be sure that you, the people you find yourself spending time with are, are, are bringing you closer to God, not further away. And here's another thing. Make sure that you're one of the ones bringing people closer to God instead of further away. And listen, in your conversations with other people and in the things that you text to other people, the thing that our digital communication, listen, it, sometimes I think we walk the line of carnality in how we operate, how we communicate. We've got to be careful of that. We want to, if we want to leave a mark that's desirable, then we should be, say, far away from anything that somebody might look at and say, that's carnal. So you want to live a desirable life. Third, do you try to overly control your relationships like Jehoram did? Jehoram's desire to control the people around him, it cost him dearly, not just his enemies, but his friends, people that should have been on his side. What kind of control do you attempt to exercise in your relationship with others? I know this is immensely practical tonight, and, but, but these are the kind of things that help us. These are the kind of questions that will help us to truly examine ourselves this evening. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a controlling person? You ever had a friendship with somebody that was truly controlling? They've got to win every conversation. They have to have the final word every time. They rarely hear you speak because what they say matters more. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can say their next thing. You ever had somebody that? It doesn't matter what you're saying. They're, waiting. they're just thinking about what they're going to say next. Listen, uh, how, th- how do you ensure that kind of stuff doesn't happen? How do you ensure you're not the one that's controlling in that situation or controlling people like that? Well, instead of trying to seek to have friends, seek to be a friend. It's amazing how, how much you're willing to not control if you're just trying to be a blessing to somebody. You're not trying to win the conversation. You're not trying to have the most, most influence or you're just trying to be a friend to somebody. And, you know, I'm thinking about young people, and there's a lot of young people, and they're counting their influence or their notoriety by how many friends they've got on Instagram or Facebook or how, whatever you, how, you know, social media. I'm not into it very much. Listen, I mean, I would be fine if I didn't have anybody follow me on social media, but if I had 300 real-life people, count me as a friend. And they say, he's the kind of person that is there for me when I need it. Not trying to control me, just to try to be a blessing to me. Be a friend instead of seeking friends. By that, I mean you'll be a lot less about yourself and your relationships if you seek to be a blessing as a friend rather than seek to be, get what you can out of every friendship. Control isn't important to the person who seeks to be a friend before they have friends. You know, here's a good thing to do if you don't want to be a controlling friend. Listen more than you speak. It's shocking sometimes how many people in our culture constantly talk over each other in a conversation. Have you ever noticed that? It's amazing how just to have a conversation in a group of people and it's like you're just talking over each other the whole time. I don't know how you get anything out of it. I'm not sure. But listen, I notice that more and more. It's easy to be the one that dominates or controls your interactions with people, but that will not make you desirable. You know, you'll be much more desirable if you're a good listener. 
instead of being the dominant talker. I think we need, as God's people, I think it'd be good for us to seek to be better listeners. Let's just listen to each other and let's hear each other out. You know, they say you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason because listening is more important than making your voice be heard. And I think it'd be good for us. You know, we live in a culture that says the whole world needs to hear your opinion. You need to make sure that your opinion gets out there on social media and everybody hears it. No, I don't think that's biblical. No, biblical, the biblical approach is to bear one another's burdens and to be the kind of people that listen when other people talk. You're not going to gain by seeking tight control. You're going to lose friends. Folks, be a friend. Serve. Seek to be a blessing. Do all that before you try to get what you can out of people. And the last point, the last question to ask Tonight, if you want to live a desirable life, is do you leave others better or worse than when you found them? Jehoram caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and go whoring after false gods. Folks, listen, that meant his influence left others lusting after something that was an abomination in the eyes of God. He takes idolatry, God does, so seriously, he calls it fornication. Spiritual unfaithfulness. They went a-whoring spiritually. So will people that you encounter in your life, will they be drawn closer to God or further away from God because they knew you? It's a good question to ask. And I know it can be convicting or challenging, but when you think about your interactions with people, do you typically draw them closer to God? Or are you neutral Or are you pulling them away from God? You know, the idea here is that Jehoram died not only undesirable to people, but he was undesirable to God. He led the people to commit terrible sin in the eyes of God. And that's not a small thing. So how do you ensure that that doesn't happen in your life? Well, determine that every interaction you have with others will leave them closer to God. Hey, listen to that. Determine that every interaction you have with somebody else will do something to bring them closer to God. I know it's getting late. We're about, to, we're about to be wrapped up. But you can't choose that for somebody else. But you can at least strive to leave them closer to God in your, on your end. Listen, be the friend that asks spiritual questions. Be the person that, that sees from a spiritual viewpoint. If someone's struggling with a critical spirit or gossiping or, or complaining or engaging in a carnal, not spiritual conversation, be the one that turns the conversation. And you say, this is the kind of stuff you should be dealing with teenagers about. You're, you're right, absolutely, but adults need it too. I mean, it's easy to kind of slip into the carnal direction And we need people that would be like, no, I'm going to take this back. I'm going to make sure I leave them closer to God as much as I can, rather than leading them further away from God. You know, I think we can all think of people that you and I had a chance to influence for the Lord and we missed the opportunity. I mean, in my mind right now, immediately, listen, I can see faces. I can think of names of people in my life that my interactions with them did not leave them closer to the Lord, actually brought them further away from the Lord. And it's a shame to me. That's undesirable. And I I refuse to miss another opportunity to help someone be better instead of worse. I'm not saying it's your job to fix them. But don't pour gas on the fire if they're angry or critical or inappropriate. Don't settle for worse. Strive for better. Leave people better than you found them. If you're determined to serve others instead of yourself, surround yourself with spiritual people, not control every relationship, and strive to leave others spiritually better when you depart, you will live a desirable life. You'll leave a hole that people miss. And there won't be people at your funeral making up nice things to say about you. They'll be having to decide which ones to mention because there's so many. Think of it this way. Live right now how you want people to talk about you at your funeral. Live right now how you want people to talk about you at your funeral. Don't live in such a way that people have to make it up. 
choose to live that way right now. And whether or not anyone says anything nice, listen, you can count on one person noticing. God sees it. And when you depart, you to be desired in the sight of God is what matters the most anyway. What he says about you in the end is the most important thing. To be desirable to God in your death is your, should be your ultimate desire. You want him to say, well done, my child. You want him to say, enter into the joy of the Lord. You want him to say, here are your rewards. You want him to say, the way that you lived was desirable and pleasant and precious to me. Welcome home. Folks, don't live life, life, the life of an undesirable. Live desirably now and you'll be remembered desirably. Everyone departs, but not everyone will be desired. And this applies in big ways and small ways. And I'll close with this, these thoughts. When you, live a, when you leave a home after visiting, I'm just going to talk to the kids for a minute. Kids, when you leave a home after visiting, visit in such a way that you're missed when you leave. When you leave home as a young person, we've got that happening this week in our house. We'll be taking Olivia to college. And, and I just want to tell her, when you leave home as a young person, Operate in such a way that you'll leave a hole. And she will. She's operated as a young lady. She's operated in a desirable manner. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. When you get finished with the ministry and you've been serving together, even in some place as dangerous as the nursery, serve with others in such a way that they can't wait to serve alongside you the next time that you're scheduled together. When you leave your job for the day, do so in such a way that your co-workers anticipate seeing you again the next day. Live desirably and you'll leave desirably. In small ways, big ways, don't live like an undesirable. It's possible to live desirably. We may just have to make a few different choices than Jehoram did. You want to depart, or you want to be desired when you depart, then, it's, then you've got to live desirably. Because how you live will determine how you leave. And I hope that's a help and challenge to you tonight. Let's stand everybody together, every eye closed and heads bowed. And We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.